0: Man, welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 252. Jason Lingren is with me and all the way from the land of Oz, Australia, Mark Patelik. We're going to be talking about legal ideas again, about authority and any number of things that people are concerned with these days. But anyhow, welcome Jason.
1: And a fine good evening it is.
0: How's it? How goes it?
1: I just came back from my friend's farm getting some fresh produce. So I've had a very nice day. How about you?
0: been a little bit muggy here but i think we're uh headed into fall starting to feel a bit like fall here now that we're in september but
2: uh without much further ado you want to jump in yes i do welcome mark hi guys and thanks for having us on the show i'm having my own breakfast at the moment when you say being on the farm it's a uh, beetroot carrot celery smoothie
0: <laughs> wow now that's healthy, healthy. Mm. <laughs> we sh- We should tell everyone listening, Mr. Barnett, who we've had on from Australia, who actually we're recording with again tomorrow, uh, Mm -hmm. is friends with Mark. I think they're about an hour and a half or an hour apart down there. So what we're finding is a lot of people that are learning legal ideas uh, tend to know each other and we're meeting a lot of people in Australia who are at a high level understanding things. But Mark, uh, before we got on the air we were thinking about maybe jumping in with how people should interact with authority. And when I tried to qualify that with you, I said, I assume we're talking about anyone from someone with a badge all the way up to a courtroom. And you added also your local government, your municipality, these types of things. So how about if we jump in right there?
2: Yes. I think that's, that's a good start and we can lay a foundation I find all over the world, people, when they approach, they say, why do you get uh, results and, and, you know, we're not getting them here? And the first question is, well, you need to be in the right jurisdiction. And most people say that they are. And uh, the jurisdiction that they um, claim is is the common law. And common law is a good jurisdiction, but not everybody that is a victim or has had a tort against them uh, can obtain a remedy there is a superior jurisdiction. If you look at any good book on contract, you'll find there's actually three areas of what's called jurisprudence, that's law. Well, two of them are law, one's not, one's only colour of law. But the book will go into that there's uh, rules of equity, or if you like a more um, thorough definition, the rules, principles and of equity, then there's the rules of the common law, and then you've got what's called commonly statute or legislation. Now, in the Commonwealth countries, there is um, uh, an act that's called the Judicature Act. Australia doesn't have one at a federal level, but it has it within the state level. Australia is a country that was conquered and therefore it's in breach of international treaties. So officially we're not here. But uh, the US also have that particular section somewhere within its legislation. And that Judicature Act, Uh, which I'm referring to is a Queensland one, Section 5, Part 11, which essentially says that to the extent of any controversy before this act between the rules of equity and the rules of the common law, that the rules of the um, equity prevails to the extent of the controversy. Now, in America, if you Google rules of equity to prevail, you should come up with the legislation, the equivalent legislation. So what you'll notice is that that section, and it's in every state of Australia, but it's also in the Commonwealth countries, does not refer to legislation. It doesn't say that legislation prevails over equity or equity prevails over legislation or statute. That's because statute and legislation are not law. They are colour of law. And they only apply <coughs> pardon me, apply to colorable people. So if you're a creature of statute, something that's dead, for example, everyone ought to have at least one, if not several, legal or law dictionaries. Uh, in America you got blacks, that's a very popular one. It's probably the most popular one in the world. But if you look at the definition of person, it includes uh, many, many things including citizen, resident, driver, taxpayer, corporation, and a whole bunch of things. But there are two key words omitted from it, and that is man and woman. So you can't be a creature of statute, something that's dead and something that's alive at the same time. Now, a lot of people trip up because they say, I'm flesh and blood man. Well, that's a bit of an oxymoron. Because we are partly, part of our makeup is flesh and blood, but we are actually more accurately a spirit within the tabernacle of a a body or the shell of a body. But I wouldn't even do that because we're making claims. So I'm just going to backpedal a little bit. Rules of equity is essentially equity is what is fair, what is just and what is equitable, something we always wanted. And it's part of contract. When you go into a contract, it's usually by consent of the parties. You know, there's a meeting of the minds, there's consideration, there's capacity to perform and a few other things. So when you go to a contract, you might want to buy something, someone's selling something. Uh, You may negotiate because it it is negotiable. It hasn't been limited or negative. In our Bill of Exchange Act, uh, we have a Section 21 where you can negative and limit the liability against the drawer what that means is that you can make an offer and it's if it's not limited then it's negotiable just like putting not negotiable on a check if it's not on there then it's still negotiable so and eventually an equilibrium is reached where everybody's satisfied everybody's happy to contract therefore it is equitable so that's why rules of equity prevails uh, common law is more like case law precedent where Uh, Judges and juries have made decisions in a very defined area of law, so it doesn't have widespread application. It only has a narrow range for matters that are very like, uh, like where there's a criminal element and it's the same same conditions that arose to the offence, so they can use a case law precedent. But if there's a different variable, then they have to have another jury trial and another decision is made. So it has narrow application and it has, um, it's a costly exercise. So Mark, let me see if
0: I've followed you properly here. Mm -hmm. If I've understood the jurisdiction you want to be in is equity, um, (laughs) because that's going to be the higher jurisdiction to be in. And when you're referring to people who are being colored or subject to things of the color of law, then you're in the public realm, not the public private realm did I get all
2: that right yes two completely different jurisdictions if you like or two different realms or two different worlds I used to use worlds for many many years but people don't often comprehend what I'm saying two different worlds whereas if you say two different jurisdictions and the two cannot meet so when a public officer someone operating in the public realm says oh, that's illogical or nonsensical, what they're saying is they can't deal with it because people are writing, for example, I, the man of the land, commonly called such and such and such, and then they're writing to Mr. such and such in the public. Well, they can't see the private. So there are ways of dealing with that. But I'll just backstep a bit with legislation because that's a creature of statute that applies to creatures of statute, people who are persons who are dead. And in these times when corporates took over the world, especially since the Second World War, they have no one to object to it any longer, they put a blanket of corporations across the earth because it's presumed that we're all dead. That's one presumption. Another presumption is we're all incompetent because we babble. We don't know actually what we're saying, and quite often we're saying the opposite of what our intent is. If you look a legal dictionary, look up key words, you'll find that what we were, what we presume a word meant actually often means the opposite. So we don't know what we're saying, and you'll see that in courts frequently when a judge will tell you, oh, you're babbling. Have you ever experienced that, any of you?
0: I've never really been in a courtroom, to be honest with you.
2: Oh, okay.
1: I haven't either, but I've heard that said.
2: Yes. Well, it's that, good that you stayed out of court, and I would suggest at all at all times where possible avoid court because it's a very slippery slope you know there's an expression they have a slippery grasp on the truth because it's a public realm and anything goes in the public because technically it's a legal fiction a corporation is a fiction you can't talk to a corporation it's dead and yet corporations do business all over the world so it's a jurisdiction that's dead and you you need a legal entity name like your birth certificate name to do business with the world of the public, the fiction world or the world of commerce. And that's the reason you have a birth certificate, the corporate one they created during the Great Depression. You know, you have our house joint resolution 192 in the States that came out in about June 33. We in Australia have about six different acts that make up the total uh, Financial Emergencies Act so that the substance money could be uh, changed over to what they call currency or legal tender. In America, for those, that I guess most of you probably are there, the Commonwealth countries all have their own Bill of Exchange Act, and that's the act that governs commerce in every country. It's the principal act of each, uh, well, it's not a country anymore, it's a corporation. But it's the principal act of the corporation. The second one is the constitution, which is the law of the corporation. But the one that governs commerce is the Bill of Exchange Act. Now, in America, if you look up your universal, uh, uniform commercial code, Division 3 you'll see that that was the former Bill of Exchange Act. So you've got all the same legislation, but it's all been uh, harmonised or statutised into the uh, uniform commercial code. Now, where we're going with this is that because of that legislation relating to the rules of equity uh, being essentially the one that prevails, it means that there is no statute or no legislation, no act, no code like the Criminal Code Act. There's no legislation on earth that can intervene, trespass or override a contract and knowing that makes you impenetrable when someone makes a claim on you you only need to ask them what is your claim source of authority and they'll have to cite an act i don't know american law that much because i'm not over there but over here if a uh, for example you ask a councillor for their source of uh, authority they'll straight away refer to the local government act and there's there are newer acts more recent such as the environmental protection act well that's an act What's the difference
0: between an act and a law?
2: A law is something that people have concurred with, maybe even have expressed their uh, concurrence through like a referendum. There has to be participation of the people. So if you don't have participation then it's done through legislation. Anything through legislation cannot be a law because it was never done by the consent of all the people. But if it's presumed that the people are dead, then that's the reason they don't have referendums. They don't need them anymore. Where does the presumed dead come from? What's the origin of that? Because uh, back in the early 30s, when the whole world uh, simultaneously committed an act of, every corporation committed an act of insolvency, Such as the United States of America, then it went into what's called the fictional or the commercial realm. And men and women could, at that time, they had um, gold and silver. You probably would know that. But the House Joint Resolution made sure that people could not possess gold and silver coins in common circulation because you would be mixing jurisdictions. We could go in so many different directions here, but because The American government ran out of money to pay the banksters because in 1913, the Reserve Bank there was taken over and privatised and became the Federal Bank. Well, they then had the authority to issue money to the government at interest. But the thing is, there was never money created as interest. There was only ever principal created. So you're sucking up the economy. You can't pay back principal and interest because there was never interest made. Anyway, by 33, only 20 years later, the government had ran out of assets to sell, to pay the principal and interest. The only thing they had left was people's energy or, if you like, productivity of labor. And they, you cannot tax a man or woman because there's a higher principle, and it's scriptural, that if you tax principal, they die. You know, in other words, if you take all a man's labor, they'll starve to death. So uh, in our legislation, tax legislation, it'll be the same in your IRS that it's a voluntary compliance system. We have our taxpayers' charter. It's an internal document within the tax office, more or less like their code of conduct. And in one of the pages, uh, I have it highlighted. It's a voluntary compliance system, just like yours. So a man or woman can voluntarily pay tax, but they are not compelled to pay ever, period. However, when the government needed to pay back the gangsters, because every time, when I say gangsters, the, the banks, the bank private banking system, the cartel.
1: The banking families that own all of this stuff in the world.
2: Yes. You know, there's a, there's an agreement each year. The government at federal level, state level, and localised level borrow money from the gangsters to run their respective GDPs. Now, when you borrow, you agree to pay back the interest, you'll never pay the principal, but you can pay the interest, but you've got to have a source to get the interest. So what they did is brought out corporate birth certificates and offered it to the people and said, look, if your children have these uh, certificates, then they'll get lots of benefits and privileges.
0: Who, who did this, Mark? This, the this was the, the government of
2: the United States did this. All governments did it. Okay. okay. All governments. Okay. But they, they were in a corner where they had no option.
1: Do we know who suggested it, though? Like, was it the banksters? Did they say, hey, here's how we're going to do this so you can pay us and we'll keep giving you money?
2: Well, they're behind it. But the government would not have been able to borrow if they didn't agree to pay back the interest. And they, they were stuck. But the thing is, the government has forsworn to protect the people. You know, it's in there. We the people by the people for the people. Right. So they have to protect people. But if there's no people, then they have nothing to protect. So by issuing people birth certificates, the children first and then later the adults even, saying, if you accept one of these, then you'll also get the benefits and privileges. Back in 1933 in America. So uh, people thought that that was a great idea. But the thing is, you always had rights. Rights are far superior than benefits and privileges. To give you an example, a judge once said to me in court, I've been in over 520 legal proceedings, so I, I, I have a, a little idea of how to manipulate and manoeuvre in court. But a judge once said, oh, look, you have the right to do that. He was trying to entrap me into the proceeding. And I said to him, well, thank you for your offer, sir, of benefits and privileges. Because no one can issue you rights. They're inherent. They're there from day one when you're born. Only you can give them away. No one can take them from you. So when he said, uh, you've got the right to do that, I wanted to give him his offer back. So I said, thank you and respectfully, sir, you may keep your benefits and privileges. I'll retain my rights. Thank you. And therefore, I retained it. So you've got to listen to what's being offered you. But in the public realm, everything is only colorable of what's in the private realm. For instance, in the public realm, you're a person, creature, statute in the private, you're a man or a woman. In the public realm with money, you have currency and legal tender. In the private realm, you have gold and silver coins. They were the only uh, money that had substance to them because they have intrinsic value when they get them out of the ground. You have benefits and privileges in the public realm, which if you uh, breach the contract that gave you the benefits and privileges, those benefits and privileges can be easily withdrawn and then you pay an offence for breach of contract called a fine or an infringement. That's for a breach. You know, you, you've got a licence. You pay money for your licence by when you fill out an application. Apply means to beg. So you go into a contract saying you are not going to go over, you know, uh, 60 mile an hour. So you go down the highway doing 80 and you get an infringement. Well, that's because you signed a contract saying you would comply with the conditions that go with your license. That's how the public works. Everything's done by contract, but it's not necessarily disclosed to you. So when you breach the contract, you pay a, a penalty by way of an offence for breach of contract. Now you can protect your rights. There are certain benefits and privileges that you 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 obtain just because of line of least resistance, where, you know, if you don't have those um, privileges, then you just get targeted. For, in, for instance, for 10 years, many years ago, I didn't have a license. You know, I'm a free man. I'm a common law, you know, redneck sometimes. You know, I don't need this. And, I know none of you and the rest of the world ever did this stuff, but back in 99, when I got onto it, I thought, blow this. I'm going to exercise my rights and I don't need their benefits and privileges. But it put me through some grief. I spent three years in and out of courts, literally on a weekly basis, because I hadn't didn't have a license for 10 years. So what I'm saying is sometimes it's better to have the benefit and privilege, such as a license, but protect your rights. When you enter into a contract, like a license contract, on your application, you make sure you put by, B-Y, which means by accommodation, meaning you're acting as an agent for your legal name now. So you're creating an issue of diversity. You're the living, your legal name is dead. Say that one more time, please.
0: We're talking about signing a document here, right?
2: Yes. Any document that you don't really want to sign, you sign this way using this format. So where it says for a signature, you enter the word by, B-Y, which means by accommodation. It means that you're acting as an agent for your legal name and then sign it how you, however you normally put your autograph or signature on there. Put your title case legal name underneath it, just touching the signature. Because they're very clever. The authorities like to chop off anything below your signature. Well, that's a fraud. And you need to learn how to hold your position then. But anyway, put your legal name under the signature and then make sure you express the words, all rights reserved. What that means is you've entered that contract not waiving your rights. You have the right to travel anywhere on earth without a license, however, if you travel and you get pulled over and you don't have a license, what do the police usually do? Over here, they a lot of them go into assault mode, so it's sometimes better to comply, but you make sure your rights are intact, you express all rights reserved. What that means is you have not accepted the benefits and privileges that they're offering you with that license. Your rights are intact. So
0: let me make sure I understood everything you just laid down. So when you go to sign something that you really don't want to be signing, you write the word BY, by, then your normal cursive or handwritten signature. Then underneath that, printing your name, as you would normally write it, probably reflects what you did in your signature. And below that, you write all rights reserved. But it is critically important that where you've printed your name, some of the ink goes up to touch your signature so no one can defraud you by cutting it off.
2: Is that all right? rights? Yes. Okay. I've had many people over the years ringing, oh, my license hasn't got my all rights reserved on it and my legal name. And I said, well, you better ring them back. This is part of a module we teach called holding your position so that you get the result at, in whatever area that you're looking for. You ring them back and say, "Who's the? Par- I need the name of the party that adulterated my signature or amended my signature. The signature on the license is not my signature or on my passport or on my Medicare card or anything else that you get from the authorities because I need to have them charged for fraud. And what they'll say is, oh, what's changed? And then you explain that your name was under the signature, it's part of your signature. And you had all rights reserved. Oh, look, we'll we'll make the amendment. Just come in and collect the uh, the new card, and you'll get it then. But they will. They are trying to block it. At least in this country, I get people. Oh, they won't allow me. Or they wouldn't give me my passport. Or they whatever it is. Well, they didn't hold their position properly. For instance, when when I did my passport in two thousand and nine, I completed the application. They looked at it, and they said, "Oh, you can't sign like that." And I looked down at it, I said, well, I already have. And they said, no, 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 we won't accept that. I said, pardon me, are you claiming that you have jurisdiction to dictate to me how I sign my signature? Now, as you know, no one can tell you how you sign your signature, but they seem to claim that they had authority. They came back and said, well, do you have evidence that that's how you sign? Now, if you don't have evidence, you just fell over. Well, of course I had evidence. You don't go into a war half-cocked. So I had a number of cards on me, and on the back of the cards, I had my signature properly expressed. by signature, name under it, and then all rights reserved. And she looked at it, and she said, oh, look, in your case, we're going to have to accept it. Of course they've got to accept it. Does it say that?
0: uh, So like your driver's, do you have a driver's license, Mark?
2: Well, a few years ago, I decided to get one, but not in the state that I reside in. You know, you want to stay out of their jurisdiction as much as possible, but okay. it is signed the right way. So occasionally yeah, I might... Part.
0: So like if you if you pull out your
2: ID, you can see the signature in that way on it? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Same on the passport. When I travel internationally, I've been pulled over and I've had port agents say, sir... We like the way you signed your signature, sir. And suddenly, I'm no longer a creature <laughs> of statute. I'm well, a man. Gonna,
0: I was going to ask you about that. How how many official,
2: you know, official folk recognize what that's all about? Uh, more than you think. And believe me, here we've woken up many thousands of Australians. I've been around a long time, and um, you know, I know many people in the industry, and uh, we do workshops and regularly and, you know, we we would have woken up hundreds of thousands of people in this country, if not millions already. That's over 21 years. So that's how you protect your rights. You express it in the contract. There are other ways. If there are things that you don't want to sign, but, you know, they'll lock you up if you don't sign, then the way out is because police Police went up, uh, I used to write All Rights Reserved, they told me, don't you put that on there before I put it on there. So if you put between buy and your signature, three dots, three dots along the the line, the signature line, three dots is a signal, it's an international SOS that your life's in jeopardy. So I haven't done this for years because I I don't have an issue with um, police or anything, they leave me alone, but... If I was to sign something that I certainly do not want to sign, I would put that international uh, code in there, recognized internationally.
0: Do it again, how? So do you write the word by dot dot dot, then a
2: signature, or how do you do it? Yeah, that's right. Just by dot dot dot, and then uh, signature.
0: Nothing more because you're under duress. I'm sorry for stepping on
2: you. No, that's fine, but if you if you ro- express any other words, then they'll rip it up and get you to start again, and the, they, they won't let you out, they won't release you. But if you just put three dots, then you can go into court, and uh, Your Honour, I only signed that under extreme uh, duress and threat of menace where my life was in jeopardy. And if you have a look at the document there, you might see it beside the word by, and they'll look at it, oh, gosh, you know. And then the crap will hit the fan because if there's some sort of offer that you've, you're you compelled to perform, anything signed under duress is void because they must have consent to enter a contract and consent cannot be done with a gun behind your head. That's not consent. Same with the Magna Carta. There's a lot of energy around the world, people enforcing the rights under the Magna Carta. Well, King John had a, a, a knife to his throat when he signed that. So the Magna Carta, as good a treaty as it is, was signed under duress. It's invalid. And the system knows it. But, you know, look, you can use it arbitrarily if you, if you want to use it. I mean, if, if they recognise it, great. Use what's, what's uh, invalid against them. If they so, recognise it, we'll use it. I will come back to why people are not succeeding now, but that's one of them. You need to know there are two different jurisdictions. So I
0: want to just get a couple things because we kind of step by. So an act, we were talking about an act. You were saying someone's making a claim against you. You're, you're somewhere, you're in court and someone's making a claim against you. So you ask, you know, show me the act. Is that act under the color of authority? Is that what the act is?
2: It's basically a corporate policy. Yes, that's correct. An act is caught well, the expression is that governments are a legal fiction and they create laws. It's like, um, you know, McDonald's having bylaws for its employees. And if you walk in there and you, you, you know, you drop a crumb on the ground and, you know, they can't tell you, grab that broom and clean it up because you're not an employee. Their bylaws only apply to their employees. So when you've got the United States of America if you say you're a citizen or a resident of the United States of America, if you claim that, because a claim is coming from you now, that's showing consent that you are a government employee. If you're a citizen of the United States or a resident, if you say, well, do you have some evidence? When, when someone approaches you and says, oh, well, you, you're a citizen of America, really? Do you have some evidence? So that comes back to knowing who you are and why people are failing all over the world. We can give you a long list of recent successes from people who've gone to the website and gauging the webinars and learning how to speak as a creditor. It's all based on the New Testament Bible, believe it or not. The Messiah was showing the world how to operate in commerce. And you'll see when he's asked questions from the Pharisees and Sadducees who were trying to entrap him by having him answer questions, and the one that answers questions in commerce assumes the debtor role, and the one that asks the questions assumes the creditor role. So that's why judges ask lots of questions.
0: (laughs) And that's why Jesus answers every question with a question.
2: Correct.
0: I never really thought about that. That's pretty clever.
2: He said, so you say, when they make a claim or a question, or, well, let me ask you this, and if you answer this, I'll answer your question. And they huddle in a big scrum, and then they come out. If we answer yes, then we incriminate ourselves. If we answer no, we're lying. So we don't know how to answer that. So he would come back with saying, neither am I required to answer your question. So he puts the the onus or the burden of proof on them because they're making the claim.
0: Not to interrupt again, but I got to point this out. I mean, this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Think of Cain. God comes down and says, hey, Cain, man, where's your brother? And what's Cain do? He asks God a question. Am I my brother's keeper? It's the same thing going on, isn't it?
2: It is. They're telling you how to negotiate commerce. Mm -hmm. And the one that answers the questions is the one that trips up. So the key is that one has to learn how to answer a question either with a question or with a conditional acceptance, such as, if a judge says, well, come to the bar, you can say, well, sir, with respect, do I lose status if I come to the bar? So you can you can ask a question or, so I'll come to the bar if the court can prove that I do not waive my rights when I approach the bar. And if he can't prove that you don't waive your rights, then – It's an expression that, or or it's a reflection that you do lose your rights. So it's up to you then to make the decision whether you go to the bar or not.
1: Which status would you be starting from compared to what is it that they're trying to trick you to become?
2: Well, the thing is you're coming from a position of a man or a woman that's a private status, but you have to know that you cannot mix jurisdictions in a public and private Jurisdiction. So, the the courtroom, or when you're confronting any officer of the public realm, whether it's a government official, whether it's a department of government, uh, state, federal, or even regional, then they're conducting a court with you. They're not going to tell you that, but because they're in the public realm, they can conduct a court and you will hear the expression the words you use will be used against you. Because they're conducting a court. So the key is say as little as possible. And this is the big king hit that we use to hold our position and why we win. When a claim is made, who has the burden of proof? The maxim says, isn't it the one that makes the claim? Yeah, the accuser. Therefore, when someone says that you've got to do this or you've got to do that, all you have to say is where is your authority to do that? Respectfully, sir, I understand that you you know you're doing a job, but I have a concern here. So you don't want to hit him in the head or something. You just want to make it very polite, amicable so that there's a good good relationship. You don't want to get offside. But what you're basically saying is, look, if I've done something wrong, no worries, we'll fix it, but you know, respectfully, uh, where is your jurisdiction? To direct me to do what what you claim that you know I, I'm required to do, and they'll cite some sort of legislation. Anyone in the public must have a source of authority; they have to, otherwise they can't operate. Now, the scripture says you can't. Well, not exactly those words, but you can't be a judge in your own matter. What that means is you can't uh, make assertions, claims, presentments offers all the same thing, energy out of you, because it says the truth is established out of the mouths of two witnesses. So are you two people? So if you're not two people, how the heck is it that you can tell the truth? You can't. You can only say what's true maybe, but that a truth is a reflection of each person's own experiences. So that's why no two truths are the same. So However, are you are you,
0: a, are you? a witness and another person, or is it you and
2: two other people? <laughs> it is you and at least one other individual. So, you know, someone could put in an affidavit, for example, in, in your particular case, there's a second witness. But more often than not, I rather use my adversary as my second witness. Now, these are principles I'm, I'm sharing. When you ask a direct question, what is the source of your authority to your claim that, you know, you can dictate to me what I have to do? And they'll cite an act. We have another module which is called set-up questions. You want to set up your adversary from the get-go to fail, and we win every time, every time, without exception. All you do is ask them key questions such as, well, are we in agreement that I'm a man? Or if you're a woman, that I'm a woman. And they'll come back and they'll say, well, what's that got to do with it? No, no, no bear with me and please answer the question, I'm being respectful, are we in agreement that I'm a man or a woman? And they'll say, well, yeah, I get that, you are, okay, but what has it got to do with it? Thank you, we're in agreement. And you're saying that you're operating under that particular act. That's correct. Okay, are there any other sources of authority that you rely upon? Now that's called asking questions i'm trying to flush out anything else they may want to rely on down you know if they don't if the the first thing falls over then they they might want to go to a second act or statute so i'm flushing them out oh no, no no there's that that's the one that we rely on that that gives us all our authority and includes authority over you hang on beg your pardon but if that's the act that you rely upon how does that act which is legislation of course How does that act apply to a man or a woman? Oh, what do you mean? No, 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 that's not the answer to my question. Respectfully, please answer the question. You made the claim, who bears burden of proof? Isn't it the one that makes the claim? Now, if you're talking to a lawyer, they know all this. They know that if you make a claim, the one that makes the claim bears the burden of proof. That's a maxim, a legal maxim. So they need to uh, find the evidence and you ask them a third time, three times and out. And I've used that uh, that, that process also in courts. If they don't answer three times after the third offer, then they commit a default, just like you do. If you don't answer notices, three successive notices, an agreement is set up. It's a default judgment in the private, and that can be ratified in a court. But we use that process against them. So if they don't answer the first time, well, pardon me, I noticed you didn't answer the question or you tried to evade the question, which is a confession to an avoidance, a a guilty and avoidance plea, by the way, let me ask you a second time. How does that act apply to a man? Well, we don't understand what you mean. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not my problem. It's your problem. You're making the claim you need to provide your evidence. So for the third time, how does that act apply to a man or a woman? If they remain silent, you now have the commercial energy to actually answer for them. Oh, so you agree you don't have authority. Great. Well, have a nice day. Or, you know, get off my property then. Or whatever it is, whatever the confrontation is or the, you know, whatever their demands are over you, just evaporate. And I can keep you busy for days just on who we've cleaned up in this country and for 21 years now. So when you know how to communicate and how to manipulate them into ask, you you control the conversation by asking the questions and they will default every single time. And what you'll notice is they just get angrier and angrier because they realise that they have no authority and the only weapon they had was fear and you haven't got any, so they can't even use fear anymore. The fear's gone. For example, a lot of farming community in Australia, as the cities grow, there's this um, suburban sprawl which impinges on the fringes of the farming community. So where people have had old buildings, old sheds for 100 years, suddenly becomes an eyesore or if they've had machinery in their front paddock or trucks in their front paddock, which they're entitled to do, the councils are going around cleaning them up and uh, slapping fines like $300,000. I've seen one for $670,000 and a lot in between. So when they ring me, we just set up a meeting uh, in their boardroom at the council. They usually had their lawyers with them and a councillor. And we just start playing a game. And usually within about 20 to twenty minutes to the longest one I ever did was 90 minutes, most of them about 30 to 40 minutes, you walk out there and the fine's gone and the farm farmers can do what they like still.
0: There's a couple things that I'd like to address about that. First of all, the people in that room who understand what's going on have no honor. That's a fact. But what I want to know is once you've done that to a particular city council, Do those people then go out, try to
2: do it to someone else, or do they learn their lesson? Oh, no. That's just one fish that gets off the hook. You're creating awareness, and they now know that they are an illegal and unlawful organization. They also commit treason against the people because here in Australia, there have been two national referendums. That's over like 60 years and one indirect referendum where the majority of the people express they do not want a third tier of government, and yet they exist. Why do they exist? The people have expressed we don't want them. That's treason, defying the will of the people. So we tell them that. Here's the re- I provide the evidence. I got the um, results of the referendums. You know, I, I go in there armed with the information. I just throw it they're all laminated so I just throw it in front of their nose and say do you know what the offense is this is how you tickle them up do you know what the offense is for treason and suddenly their jaws drop and they think holy smokes is there an accusation of treason now well of course there is have a look at the election have a look at the referendum results there's also fee simple which the commonwealth countries have I'm not sure in America if you have that expression You know, you have a lodial title, which is the supreme title, but we don't have that here. We only have fee simple, um, and there's a lesser title too. But fee simple is an agreement between Queen Victoria and her heirs and the owner of property. It's an agreement where the owner of the property has absolute total discretion on the use and possession of their property. That's what fee simple is exclusive use and possession rights and yet the councils and and state government and federal government are dictating to everyone what they can and can't do with their property that's insanity man
0: i'm sorry but i was going to point out in light of what's going on every governor in every state of this country is doing a version of that by dictating (laughs) to the people that they can't open their business or they got to wear a face diaper or any of these things; these are these are all the same illegalities. These are people without authority
2: making dictates yeah. to the people. Am I am I wrong yeah. here? No, it's that's universal. That's crow no, it? it's universal. Victoria, which is the, the southern state of Australia, is uh, in complete lockdown as a test case for the rest of the world. Now, I learned uh, back in '99 through a barrister, the headquarters of the world. Uh, the UN is in Canberra here because when they implode the rest of the world, they need to run to a continent that they can escape a retribution. So Australia already, the oh, I won't mention parties, but they were moving here during the war because they were worried that Hitler might smash the Rothschilds. Anyway, that's another story. But people universally have, well, they don't have to, but if they learn who they actually are, and know how to properly communicate, then the tyranny would be broken overnight. I can give you loads and loads of examples. You know, to travel between states here, you need a pass, a border pass now. That's insane. So one of the uh, 21-year-old who's been going for over a year to our Tuesday night functions, he went through the border without a pass and they detained him for almost an hour he went through right through to the senior sergeant, and then he used a one-liner, which I teach people to use, because every authority in the public arena have Keel's heels. The Keel's heel is that they are all insured. They have to have indemnity insurance, just like over there. If they don't have it, then they cannot work because they're a risk and they would be let go. So he was already succeeding, but then he said to the senior sergeant, look, I need your business card and I need, if if you could just write on there, your indemnity insurance number. The sergeant just did it, just turned around and walked off, let him go and do what he wanted to do. So he just moved across the border, kept going. Now we had the same thing happen in Victoria. There are regions now separated. So he went through a, a region from an infected area to a non-infected area without a border pass, but he held his position. How you do that is simply, you know, what authority are you relying on to tell me that I can't travel in my car? They say, oh, there's new legislation, this CV-19 legislation, you need a pass. He said, that's the legislation, isn't it? And there's now an act for it. That's an act, isn't it? Yeah, that's right getting his second witness, clever man. He's learnt the process. He said, "How and I am a man, aren't I? You agree that I'm a man? And I looked at him for the second time. Are we in agreement? Am I a man or not? And then after the third time, well, I take it we're in agreement I'm a man. How does your legislation affect a man or apply to a man? And he got through. And then we had a, a family come in from New Zealand to Australia and uh, you know they have—they're not detention camps; they're isolation camps uh, all over the country. So they're already guiding him into um, uh, to a bus to be taken down to the Gold Coast to be uh, put into a, an isolation camp for two weeks. He said, "I don't consent to that." So the uh, officer went and got his supervisor, and he went through the motions again. You know, what do you rely on as as your source of authority? to direct me to go where I don't want to go. And they said, well, there's this legislation now and you, you have to comply with it. He said, no, I do not. He said, uh, are we in agreement that I'm a man? And he just went through the motions and they agreed he was and, and his family were living. He said, how does your legislation and act apply to a, a living soul or a man or young men and women? Never use the word person right. as opposed to a person and as opposed to child or children, which are creatures of statute. And if you use their language, then you're one of theirs. They have authority over you. You have to know what you're saying. So he held his position. So they went and got the airport uh, superintendent, and he went round the mill with them too. And in the end, the superintendent was flustered and said, well, where are you proposing to go? He said, to my mum's up on the Sunshine Coast, opposite direction. He said, are you staying there for two weeks? He said, absolutely. I've been away a long time. I've got a lot of catching up to do. He said, look, if you agree to stay there, we'll let you go. So he got his way. He held his position. Mark, we're going to have to wrap up
0: for hour one. We have to come in under an hour. There's a few places this runs. So let's just cut it there. We've got so much to cover when we come back. Jason, anything Mm -hmm. you want to get in before we wrap up and get ready to do hour two?
1: Well, I definitely have some questions as far as these acts, I guess we're calling them, are concerned because I've seen it worded differently in different states. And I'm kind of curious if Mark would know how to answer that. So I guess we can try that when we get back. And let's not forget to mention that Mark's website is solutionsempowerment.com. Okay.
0: Yep. Again, how many times do we do shows, Jason? And there's another thing about the biblical scripture you're unaware of. People need to quit throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but that does bring the first hour of episode 252 to a close with Jason Lindgren and Mark Pytelik. When we come back, uh, join us on the other side for the full episode at crow777radio.com. That's C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. That's the only real crow site in the world. There are frauds out there. And we're going to dive into some things that might have been a little dicey just running on YouTube and other places. So join us. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded year ahead. Hope to see you at crow 7 radiocom for hour two. Cheers.